Well, it's great to see you, Christ Chapel. My name is Graham McMillan, and I oversee the three high school ministries at our three campuses. Whether if you're tuning in at one of those three campuses, you're next door at Converge, or you're watching online, I'm grateful for you, my Christ Chapel family. It's great to see you. I really believe, I do believe uh, sincerely, that God has a very special message that he wants to give you through his word this morning, and I'm excited to jump in. But before I do that, I want to tell you something personal about myself really quickly. Um, There is one thing, really just one thing in the world that has hurt me more than anything in the world. This thing is uh, the thorn in my flesh. It has scarred me and marred me. Uh, This thing has hurt me mentally. It's hurt me physically. It's hurt me emotionally. And I'm pretty sure that this thing has hurt me spiritually. And this thing is the middle seat on airplanes. Okay, listen, listen to me. As a six foot five man, I pray to the sweet Lord above. I really do. I'm getting vulnerable with you here. I pray to the sweet Lord above. When I get my ticket, I grab it and I say, God, please, please give me an A or a C. Please don't give me a B or an E. God, I'll be in the back row. Just please don't give me a B or an E. Because it's just, it's just so uncomfortable, right? And you know what I've discovered? What I've discovered about the middle seat on an airplane, it's not, it's not that I don't have the window to give me some entertainment. It's not that I don't have the extra leg room in the aisle. It's none of that. You know what I've discovered about the middle seat that makes it so uncomfortable? It, frankly, it's because of the people. I, I, I don't say it. Because if I had the row all to myself, right, then we'd be talking, right? I'd be, I'd be living the lap of luxury. But... If the row is full, and when people take it upon themselves to commandeer both armrests on either side of me, right, and crush my knees by having to lean their seat all the way back, it becomes a very uncomfortable experience. I just want to get to where I'm going comfortably, right? But there is no amount of neck pillows that I could purchase that would make this flight comfortable for me. I'm a six foot five man stuck in a cigar tube 40,000 feet in the air with 150 other people. It's not gonna happen, right? And frequently, when I sit on airplanes, I have to sit there and I have to stop and I have to remind myself, I'm not traveling for the flight, right? right? I'm not traveling for the flight. I'm traveling for the destination. Why do I tell you that? Why do I tell you this? Because I believe that being a Christian in 2021 is a lot like riding in the middle seat of an airplane. That you and I on this flight of, ri- flight of life that we're on, we're alongside other people, right? Other people who don't believe the things that we believe or have the ideas that we have. And this makes life feel very unpleasant. Some of you have felt this for some time. That the opposition we face today, this tension that we feel in this middle seat, tends to distract us from our destination. I don't know about you, right? I don't know if you've done a seat check recently of who's alongside us on this flight. But for Christians, it feels like the people who are alongside us seem to be expanding. That the voices on either side of us are getting louder, and our space feels like it's just getting that much smaller. 
I personally have felt this tension of being surrounded by things that are not of God's kingdom. Are you guys feeling what I'm feeling? Okay, thank you. I, I don't know if I have to go all the way there with you right now, but just as we look at the world, there are ideas that are not rooted in God that are sprouting and growing fast. There are people who are filling our youth's minds with false truths about themselves and about the world around them. There are roommates and Facebook friends who are not promoting any sense of biblical values. There are bosses and coworkers for some of you at your work who aren't championing any semblance of biblical morals. Some of you, even in your own family, are finding that the people sitting next to you on this flight of life are often your foes within your own household. That the people you thought were gonna be your best helpers turn out to be your worst hinderers. Are you feeling what I'm feeling? I, I'm, I feel like it's getting pretty tight in here. Our seat space feels like it's getting smaller and it feels like it shouldn't be this way. It feels like it shouldn't be this way. Have you ever wondered why? Why is it this way? But why are we so entangled like this? Better yet, what do we do about it? What do I do with the people who are sitting next to me on this flight of life that are making this feel very uncomfortable? And even better than that, when do we land this plane? Today, we're going to discover in God's word that God is permitting an assortment now for his sorting later. He is permitting an assortment now for his sorting later. If you would, please read with me in Matthew 13, start, starting in verse 24. We're going to read the whole story, so I need you to stick with me here. It's known as the parable of the weeds that Jesus shares. Matthew 13, starting in verse 24. And he put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man, a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, the enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and, away, and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came to him and said, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them into bundles to be burned but gather the wheat into my barn. We're going to continue on in verse 36. Jesus kind of explains the parable here. He says, Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And Jesus answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man, the field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. And that place there will be weeping 
and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun and the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Blessed be the reading of God's word. Okay, remember last week what Cody said, right? He said that these parables are, are heavenly truths. They're heavenly truths explained by and applied to everyday life in story form. And while you and I can relate to an airplane seat, Jesus gives them an illustration that they can uh, understand a little bit better in their society, which is farming. Jesus stops and says, listen, listen to me. The kingdom is like a farmer, is a farmer who's spreading good seed. But while his servants were asleep, an enemy came, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat. And as both the weeds and the wheat sprouted to their infancy, the servants said, what gives? What happened? Why? Why does it have weeds? It's a good question. And he replied, an enemy has done this. This leads us to our first point. Point one, there is a wicked enemy planting, but a good farmer watching. There is a wicked enemy planting, but a good farmer watching, right? So the field is the world. It's the world. And the good seed are the sons of the kingdom. True believers in Jesus Christ. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, the unbelievers. And the enemy who planted them is the devil. I gave you a small key on your sermon notes to kind of follow along with the illustration. And here, what we have to understand is what's planted is a very specific type of weed, it's a, a type of weed called a zizania, a zizania weed. And zizania, when it's planted alongside wheat, it's completely indistinguishable. I gave you a, a picture here. You can see them side by side. As both grow, the by the time the grain-filled heads appear, you can kind of identify which one's wheat and which one's weed, but uh, it's really hard to remove. See, uh, they're, once it's infested in a field, it's, it's really hard to eradicate. Okay, Jesus is making a reality statement here. He's stating our reality. He says, this is how it is now. This is what it's like now. Right now, there are two kingdoms, two orders, side by side, and he says, I'm planting good seed. He says, I'm planting good seed. What's that mean? He says, listen to me. Listen to me. I'm bringing restoration. I'm bringing total restoration. And what I'm planting are sons of mine who will be with me in the kingdom of heaven. The world is my field. The wheat are my sons and my daughters. I'm ushering in a new kingdom. I'm spreading an invitation to restoration that will change the very fabric of the entire world. I'm bringing restoration, and I'm inviting you to come under me as king. He says, everything here, everything here is broken. It's all broken, but I'm here to restore it. But there is an enemy planting here who's trying to thwart this restoration. But Christ Chapel, we can't pass by the fact that Jesus is aware. He is aware that both weeds and wheat occur at the same time. Matthew 5.45 says that he has his son rise and fall on the evil and the good. That he sends rain upon the just and the unjust in this field of life. 
It's a reality statement. It's a reality statement, meaning we, the wheat, co-occur alongside the weeds planted by the enemy. This is a call. It's a call to an acceptance of the reality of our current situation. Now hear me out here. In this field, wheat and weeds are growing with differing values and ideas, right? Give me a nod. Yes? Okay? They have differing values and ideas. And while you, as wheat, do not have to accept the ideas of the weeds, you do have to accept the fact that they do exist. Simply the existence of them. But this shouldn't be a surprise. Right, this shouldn't be a surprise. Because where righteousness expands, their evil will expand also. That while we are here now, there is an evil imitator who's seeking to plant weeds wherever he sees the master plant wheat. Some of you have seen this. Where goodness and righteousness and holiness expands, there's an enemy planting not far behind. As righteousness expands now, so will evil. Look, this is a hard reality statement to accept. I get it. This is uncomfortable. More difficult times are coming. But notice who isn't asleep right? The master isn't the one who's sleeping. He's aware and he's awake, but most importantly, he is good. Psalm 121 says that the Lord himself watches over you. The Lord himself keeps you. The Lord himself stands beside you. The Lord himself will not slumber. I have an adorable son. His name is Mac. The high school students call him Mac Daddy. Um, and, uh, you know, Mac and I try to get pancakes every Friday morning as a part of our Sabbath. And uh, we've been trying to teach Mac some, some Bible phrases for him to say out loud. And uh, one of them has been uh, Romans, Romans 8, uh, 31, which says, if God is for you, who can be against you? Well, we found somebody that kind of macified uh, the phrase, and uh, we've been trying to get him to say this phrase out loud. And the phrase is, if God's got you, no one can get you. If God's got you, no one can get you. And the other day, we've been trying to get him to say it out loud. He just hadn't quite got there yet. But the other day, about two weeks ago, I uh, put Mac to bed, give him a kiss, you know, you know, put him in his crib. And after a couple hours, he got really scared. And I ran in the room, kind of grabbed him. I said, it's okay, Mac Daddy, it's okay. I calm him down and uh, put him back in his crib. And I walked out to the door. And as I grabbed the door, he said, Dada? I said, yes, son. He goes, God's got me. If you've accepted this invitation to make Jesus your king, God's got you. He's got you. He's got you because you're precious to him. He's got you with this never ceasing, never sleeping, always and forever, never stopping kind of love. You're precious to him. Won't he keep his wheat? He's always awake and he's always there. 
but you have to see the enemy's plan here. Please see the enemy's plan. The plans here is to ruin the harvest, yes, but also it's for you and I to question the master. For you and I to say, what gives? Did you not plant good seed? Aren't you good? Don't take this bait of the enemy. Don't be duped into believing that God is the one who's planting malicious weeds alongside, or planting weeds alongside you maliciously. That's why the servants questioned. Just as the servants questioned, you and I will question too, though. We'll do that. And, and we'll say, I thought you plant, came to plant good seed, God. What gives? I thought you planted good seed. But he has a response. He says, an enemy has done this. And I can almost hear it, the, like, the confidence in his response, the sheer confidence that, set, that expresses, I have a plan. I have a plan. Trust that I am a good farmer and I know what's happening in my field. I have a plan. Fix your eyes on me. Trust my plan to express my heart to every generation. Trust my plan. Better yet, trust my timing. Trust my timing. I have perfect timing for everything. At this time, I am permitting an assortment now for my sorting later. So we'll question God's goodness, just like the servant, as we sit on this flight of life, but we'll also question his plan and his timing. And in doing so, it's our nature. It's your and I's nature. It's our natural bend to try to put things into our own hands. After we question, we'll say, okay, and then we'll try to put things into our own hands, which takes us to verse 28. So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them, the weeds? Do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no. Lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I'll tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Which takes us to our next point. It hurts the kingdom. It hurts the kingdom when we point and pluck the weeds on our timeline. It hurts the kingdom when we point and pluck the weeds on our timeline. So the servants had a really sensible question here, right? I mean, it's not crazy. They say, should we pull the weeds now? And while that might not be a bad farming technique, technique here on earth, it's not kingdom farming. It's not appropriate within the kingdom farming practice. See, kingdom farming has a lot to do with timing. It has a lot to do with timing. And the master says, let both grow together. It's not time yet. If you pull the weeds now in their infancy, what you're going to do is you're going to hurt the wheat. But, Chris, but Christian history would tell us that uh, people have this tendency to take this into our own hands, that you and I have this natural bend to go to the shed, grab the weed whacker, and rev it up. We have this natural bend to do this. And Honestly, again, that's sensible though, right? Why, wouldn't it be easier? Wouldn't it be easier to just remove all the opposition in our life, to remove all this tension for when someone comes and sits down next to us on this flight of life, we say, excuse me, can you move that, their seat, please? Thank you. But in order to do that, you and I have to identify who's a weed and who's a wheat. That's not your job description. It's not. Right? 
they're really difficult to tell apart, yes, but also, especially in their infancy. And we do this all the time. We make sure, we make sure that everybody around us knows that, that we're a wheat. And then we have this natural bend to point and say, but they're a weed, right? Me, I'm a wheat. Her, did you not hear what happened last weekend? She's a weed. Me, I'm amber waves of grain, baby. Her, did you not see what she posted on Facebook? She's a weed. Me, you might as well put me on that Wheaties box because I'm 100% wheat. Him, did you not he- see what he did in the golf course? He's a weed. We do this. It's our natural bend to point and pluck. This is our natural bend. And the master looks us square in the eyes and says, that would be a very, very bad idea. That would be a very bad idea. For in trying to identify and then pull the weeds, you and I are going to hurt the wheat. Our directions aren't to point and pluck. Our directions are to grow. We're to grow. Remember, in the infant stages, you and I don't have eyes to identify. But if you choose to point and pluck, it hurts. Last weekend, I was camping in uh, Marfa, Texas, of all places. uh, And I had... I met this uh, guy, 28-year-old man, and uh, I had struck up a spiritual conversation with him, and I said, hey, do you mind if I ask you a a spiritual question? He said, no. I said, "Um, do you have any religious background or any church background? And he said, I do. I said, "Uh, would you mind telling me what that is? I'm I'm just curious. And he hesitated. And I said, you, I mean, you don't have to tell me. It's okay. Like, I'm, it's okay. You don't have to tell me. And he goes, no, I, I trust you. I think I can tell you. I said, okay. And he began to tell me a story. He said, um, I had a church. I grew up in a, 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 you know, a Christian church. And I had a pastor. I had Christian friends. And one day I came up with a conviction that um, wasn't in line with what my church had believed. And when I brought this conviction forth to my friends and to uh, the people there at the church, the next day, they shunned me. They completely ostracized me, took me out of all the groups on Facebook and all the text, text groups. I was completely shunned. That was 12 years ago. And I haven't picked it up since. Feel Feel what happens when we choose to point and pluck. Don't do that. God's words, not mine. When we are overly zealous to criticize and label everyone that we don't understand, it hurts the wheat. People started plucking him before he even developed, right? And honestly, just as an aside, honestly, weed whacking is exhausting, right? Nobody wants to whack weeds. That's it. It's exhausting. The only thing that you should be concerned about when it comes to identification of weed and wheat is that when the roll is called up yonder, you'll be there. And in light of that, the wheat's role, our role, is to be faithful to the sower and fruitful for the kingdom. 
Be faithful to the sower and fruitful for the kingdom. But we say, now, now, God, please pull the weeds now. And he responds, there's a time for everything. Ecclesiastes 3 says, there's a time to be born and a time to die. There's a season for everything, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. As an aside, as a complete aside, not specifically in this text, I don't know about you, but I'm really grateful for God's timing. I'm super grateful for it because in 2010, I looked a lot like a weed. And if he had pulled the weeds in 2012, I wouldn't be here. If he pulled the weeds in 98, there's no Cody McQueen. Trust God's timing. The world is benefiting from the patience of the farmer. There's a time for everything. Trust his time and be careful with your zealousness to point and pluck because salvation may be kicking in the womb of the person that is sitting next to you, the person who's planted next to you on purpose. God sees everything between the sowing and the reaping, and that's the time period we're in, between the sowing and the reaping. Right now, he is permitting an assortment for his sorting later. Why is it this way? Because an enemy's planting. What do we do about it? Basically, what do we not do about it? We don't point and pluck. And this should change our perspective because there will be a harvest. There's a harvest coming and the separation will occur and you and I will have no role in that separation. Verse 30, let both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned but gather the wheat into my barn. The son of man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. And that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of heaven. He who has ears, let him hear. Okay, so anybody just a little uncomfortable reading that? It's okay, I am. And honestly, I think that's a bit of the point. That's kind of the idea, which takes us through our third point. There will be a time when the weeds and wheat are no longer together. So we see the end here. It kind of spells it out directly. It says there's an enemy's plan to ruin the harvest, and he fails. And the end, that final separation, leads to a destination, and there are only two destinies. Okay, so let's step back for a second. Remember what I said. Remember what he said. No one travels for the sake of the flight, right? You travel for the destination. And what Jesus is describing here is that destination. Remember, all of reality is broken. Everything is broken. And he says, I'm coming to bring a restoration movement, a restoration that redoes every inch of reality. And he says, look, I mean, you can agree with me. Your problems are so much deeper than the political, the social, the psychological, and the cultural. Our problems go way deeper than that. And what I'm afraid of Christ Chapel is that we're stuck buying neck pillows to make this flight easier when he says, listen, listen to me, I'm bringing restoration. Not to cozy up your current situation, but to completely revolutionize every fabric of everything that you see. Everything is broken, and I'm here to restore it. This is the destination he is describing to us. He says, do you have ears? Do you have ears? Listen to me. Imagine a world. Imagine a world without grief. 
Imagine a world without sadness. Imagine a world without guilt. Imagine a world without miscarriage. Imagine a world without family strife. Imagine a world without racial strife. Imagine a world without loneliness. Imagine a world without unhappiness. Imagine a world in which all brokenness, emotional, spiritual, physical, political, mental, are all eradicated. I, I, don't, I don't know if you feel it, but do you not feel, Christ Chapel, that this is just a shadow of what could be? This is just a shadow of what could be. Jesus' life emphatically says this is a shadow of what it will be. This is a shadow of what it will be. Feel now the hope of trusting the farmer. Feel now that there's joy set before us, guaranteed by a farmer who laid his life down for his wheat and promises them to to plant them in everlasting life. There's going to be a day when everything's clear. There'll be a new heavens and a new earth. All pain and confusion will be taken away. All causes of sin and lawbreakers will be uprooted at the harvest, and there will be a harvest. If you oppose it, you'll be cast out. But if you're in it, you'll come into my house. Jesus says, I'm bringing to earth an invitation to the restoration of God, the power of God that will address every heart of every issue in the condition of the world. I'm here to bring everything under my power and eventually it will be restored and shine like the sun. Where does restoration start? Where does this restoration start? It starts right here. It starts in the heart. Jesus is breaking through in this restoration in the hearts of his wheat How does restoration start in my heart? How? How does this begin here? It begins by realizing that Jesus chose the most uncomfortable middle seat imaginable. He chose the most uncomfortable middle seat imaginable for our sake that we could be restored. That there's a master planter who came down, lived among the weeds. He lived a perfect life among the weeds that you and I couldn't. He suffered on the cross between two weeds to show us that our home is not here. It's not here. The gospel is what we look to for hope. It says that we are being restored and being kept until we're fully restored. The gospel shows us that through this posture, the posture of death, that this is the posture in which I will sow my kingdom. This is the posture in which I will grow my kingdom. And through this posture, I will show a world that's pining for neck pillows that this is not your home, that the flight is not the destination. This is not home. It's not here. And his posture on that cross was proved effectively immediately as one of the weeds that perished next to him is actually in the barn. So if you feel yourself even now pushing, pushing back against what he's trying to do to restore you in here, I invite you to look at the course of your life. See that at the center of your life this entire time, there has been a master planter who has planted wheat among you to show you, to show you this truth of the gospel. And then hear this. If, if you haven't received this, 
and you have received some sort of spiritual weed whacking, hear me, That's, that instruction did not come from this good farmer. It's actually the opposite, and he wants you in that barn. If you have received this invitation, right, if you have received the invitation for, this, for Jesus to be the king of your heart, if you have a relationship with this farmer, and this restoration's breaking through in your life, then I have a challenge for you. I have a challenge for you. Take his posture, right? What did the cross show you and I? It shows us that our treasure is not here. And if you try to neck pillow this ride, if you try to weed whack this place, then you're not telling a weedy world where your treasure lies, and it's not here, it's over the hill. Take his posture. We spend so much time focusing on changing this reality statement that he is permitting an assortment now and we're placing our hope in the wrong things. The kingdom has never grown by weed whacking. It grows by his word. And his word says not to repay evil for evil, but to love those planted by the enemy. Look, I, I know it's uncomfortable. I, I feel the tension too. This is really hard. Psalm 23 says that I have prepared a table for you in the presence of your enemies. I am with you. Surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. Follow my posture, my posture of patient endurance as you wade through the weeds in this life. Take on the posture of me, your planter and your farmer. God's got you. No one can get you. So if you're tired and you're scared and you're weary on this journey, remember, just be wheat. Just be wheat. To the point, just be wheat. Fix your eyes on the sun. Just like a plant, fix your gaze upon the sun. Bask in the warmth of the Father who keeps you and loves you. Yes, there is an enemy planting, but he's going to protect you and keep you until that harvest. Recognize that your long-term sustenance, where you re receive your nutrients from as wheat, is from beholding the greatness and goodness of our planter, our provider, and our promise keeper, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Two, plant your roots deeper where they are. You are where you are for a reason. He is permitting an assortment now. The people growing next to you are growing there for a reason. Keep driving deeper and deeper into where you're planted to express and display a patient endurance. Put away your weed whackers. Deepen your roots and show this endurance that shows where your treasure truly lies and it's not here. And lastly, set your mind upon the harvest. A wheat's time is ticking for the harvest. That's where its time is, right? There is a sorting coming. Express a living hope a living hope that emphatically declares that I am being kept. I am here and I'm, I'm waiting for the new heavens and the new earth when all this is made new, all is restored. And we're finally in the home with our master, our God, our king, and our planter. Let me pray. God, what that cross showed us is that you clearly have a plan and that you desire to keep and hold 
your own, and that you've got us. May we be a witness to a weedy world that this flight is not the destination. And may you grant us your spirit to display a poise and confidence and a good, good planter. And our valleys, Lord, when we are in this tight seat, may you give us the spirit of your son who displayed a patient endurance as he marched with a cross on his shoulder up to Calvary among the weeds. May you encourage and uplift my friends in this room and those watching. Amen.